your Bibles out and turn to Hebrews. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews today. <clears throat> we, we're taking a break, as I said last week, <clears throat> excuse me, taking a break from our series in the book of Acts for the Christmas season. We'll come back to it in January, <clears throat> but right now we, we want to focus on uh, Christmas, but we're going to focus on a biblical Christmas it's important that we not understand the surface level reason why Jesus came that the Hallmark movies and the world seem to recognize. We're going to dig deeper and go into the well of God's resources, His Word, and find the real and the most important reason for Jesus coming to this earth. I want us to begin, if we can, with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much because we know you love us. We know that you have shown that to us through your son Jesus and his work on the cross for our sins, that we are forgiven, that we have been sanctified, that we are going to be glorified when the Lord returns. What a joy, what a blessing. And we pray that God today we might receive this word with, with joy in our hearts. Amen. <clears throat> I love finding in, uh, in the Scripture, Jesus Christ. You say, well, that's easy. Just go to the Gospels. And you're right. The Gospels is filled with our understanding, the identity of Christ and His work. But the first place, I'm sorry, the second place we would look would be the entire Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, we learn about Jesus Christ. In fact, in the Old Testament, we see a type of Christ that is presented to us. Many times there were Christophanies where Jesus actually appeared to man. And, and so Jesus is not just in the Gospels. The story of Jesus didn't just begin with his birth. Uh, it's all through the Bible. And so in the book of Hebrews, that's where we find the foretelling of Christmas. We would think that you'd have to go to the gospel to learn about the story of Jesus' coming. It actually speaks of his coming in Hebrews. And so if you'll take your Bible and turn to Hebrews, we'll be there. But also take your finger and put it in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. We're going to learn about the real reason why Jesus came and talk more opening, about opening those gifts today. And I'm going to tell you right now, God is going to shower his gifts upon you this morning. We thank the Lord for the gift that he gave to a special family in our church that went through tremendous suffering and loss. But I'm telling you, God has a special gift for each of you today. We're going to look at this. Let me begin by saying that on the eve of the birth of Jesus Christ, this was not the birth of the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. The Son of God never had a beginning date because he preexisted time in eternity past. The only one who can preexist time is the one who created time, space, and matter. Jesus always existed. Don't be fooled by Christmas to think that somehow that was his beginning point. That was his earthly beginning point. But he always existed prior because he is God. The birth, 
that we celebrate at Christmas is the birth of his incarnation when the Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men might become the children of God. It's really important that we understand that while we celebrate the Christ of Christmas, we never forget that he is God who transcends all human birth. The, the Apostle Paul does a magnanimous job explaining this in his letter to the church at Colossae. You should be in Colossians 1.15, and let's look at it. Let's break it down quickly. We're going to be in Hebrews, but this is a wonderful setup. We must know who Jesus is prior to his earthly beginning, okay? It says in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. Let's break that down. Circle the word image. Image means copy or likeness. He is a copy or likeness of God. Jesus Christ is the perfect image, the exact likeness of God, and is in the very form of God and has been for all eternity. Even while on earth he was in the likeness of God. Therefore, Jesus is both the representation and the manifestation of God, meaning little baby Jesus is fully God in every way while clothed in flesh and blood. Just because he's a little baby does not in any way diminish his Godhead. He is fully God, even clothed in flesh and blood. It says this, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The Greek word for firstborn can refer to one who was chronologically born first. That's true. But most of the time in the text, in the scripture, when it says firstborn, it's not referring to a chronological order. It refers to preeminence in position and preeminence in rank. In both Greek and Jewish culture, the firstborn was the ranking son who had received the rights of inheritance from his father, whether he was firstborn or not. This is why the nation Israel in the Old Testament is referred to as the firstborn. Now, even though they were far from the first nation to exist, yet God called them firstborn. Why? Because from God's perspective, they had preeminence over all other nations. They had the rank over all other nations, even though they weren't born first. Well, the same is true when Paul describes here in Colossians that Jesus Christ was firstborn. It doesn't mean that he never existed until he was born. It doesn't mean that he was the firstborn chronologically of all, all people born. It means Christ was highest in rank and preeminence. Now remember, please understand this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You can't be the only begotten while also being the first begotten. So it was not that he was born first. It was that he was in highest rank and privilege first. You can't be both only begotten and first begotten. Verse 16, Paul said, For by him, by Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. So what is left out? The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, 
He is creator God. Paul is making it very clear. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That means, now that in that case, when it's using the word firstborn, it's one of the few incidents where it is speaking chronologically. Jesus was the first to be resurrected by the Father. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, here it is, by the blood of his cross. So, Jesus didn't find his beginning in Bethlehem. That's not his beginning point. He pre-existed all creation because he is God. And on that first Christmas Eve, the eve of his birth into this world, the earth was oblivious to what was about to take place. Okay? I mean, no one had a clue that God was about to be transported to earth in the form of a man. Everything was moving along as always, okay? Uh, It was a quiet, peaceful, uneventful night for the shepherds under the stars, just as it is every night. Everything was going along just as usual. Everyone was oblivious to what was about to happen. But heaven wasn't. While it was quiet on the first Christmas Eve, heaven was exploding with exhilaration and excitement and worship over God the Father's plan to send forth His Son in the form of human being to the earth. This is incredible. The angelic hosts were about to break open the sky and make the greatest proclamation ever made. A choir of angels, more than you could count, were about to break into song and worship Emmanuel, God with us. The birth of this particular newborn meant that God had sent forth His salvation, capital S, But just before the revealing on that first Christmas Eve by the angels, there was a farewell going on in heaven. You will not find it recorded in the Gospels what was said in that farewell between the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, and God the Father. But you will find it in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. Turn to chapter 10. The Son of God is speaking to the Father just before He takes on a human body. And this is what He says on the first Christmas Eve. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. That is a declaration that the sacrifice of animals was insufficient to cover the debt of sin that man had committed against God. God's anger and God's wrath against sin couldn't be satisfied with the blood of animals. The blood of animals only covered the sin, like a blanket would cover something. But if you lifted the blanket, the sin is still there. That's what all the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament, that's all they could do, was simply put a covering, a blanket over It was a way of atonement, but it was not a way of redemption. Atonement is a covering. Redemption is a complete (laughs) taking away of all sin. 
under redemption, you lift the blanket, there is no sin. That could not occur with a blood sacrifice, an animal sacrifice. It had to be Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to make sacrifice for that. Look at verse 5, if you will. Well, some would ask, why do we have to have blood sacrifice to begin with? Why about, why? What, that's just gross. Blood sacrifice. Why, why do we have to have that? Because it says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. Now, who set that standard? God, who is perfect. He said, in order for me to provide covering, in order for me to redeem, in order for me to forgive sin, there must be the shedding of blood. So verse 5 in our text, consequently when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, because it wasn't enough to, to kill an animal, but a body you have prepared for me. This is the Son of God talking to the Father. You prepared a body for me to come into to do what the animal sacrifice could not do. In verse 6, in burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, then Jesus said to the Father, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. So on the eve of the first Christmas, the Son of God is saying goodbye to God the Father in the relationship that he has known from all eternity past, and there's no beginning point in eternity. He's always been with the Father. He is fully aware that he must come to earth and become the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. He is the once for all sacrifice for the sins of mankind. He alone, when clothed, in flesh and blood, is able to satisfy the sin debt of man by becoming a blood sacrifice on the cross. So he says goodbye to his father and begins the journey that would end 33 years later on a cross. And then through resurrection, he will be glorified and exalted and restored back into heaven to the glory that he knew before he came to earth. So our Lord came with all the fanfare of heaven as angels waited to sing and shout their praise, but the earth was totally unaware of what was about to happen. But the work on earth by the Holy Spirit had begun sometime earlier on the earth. For the last nine months, the Holy Spirit had fashioned in the womb of a teenage girl named Mary a body that would be inhabited by the second person of the Trinity, and now it's time for that baby to be born. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, you ask, what was the fullness of time? What, what signaled the fullness of time? When man was lost in his sinfulness and no way of returning to God, that's the fullness of time. When man is wicked, in and of himself, and cannot fix himself. When man has no way to reach up to God through his works, when fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, 
to redeem those who were under the law so that we, the children of God, might be received and adopted as sons. Praise God. This is not just an ordinary baby in Mary's womb. This child is fully God and fully man. It's so important that we understand the doctrine of incarnation. At no point while Jesus was in the earthly body did he diminish his Godhead. He was still God. But he was also fully man. There are churches today that celebrate Christmas out of the spirit of Christ. They do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God in eternity past, who's always been with the Father. They do not believe that when he was put into the, when he came as a little baby, they don't believe that he is uh, God. They believe that he was a good man, a moral man. Some of them even give him enough credit to say he was a prophet. Some will say, eh, he's in some way, shape, or form somewhat like God. But many do not see Jesus as God. I'm telling you this morning from the Word of God, Jesus is fully God. Always has been, always will be. So our Lord came with the fanfare of heaven in order to announce the coming of God. I would contend to this day the earth is still oblivious to who Jesus really is. That's why the world celebrates Christmas around Christ, not through Christ. They don't know who he really is. Some will acknowledge him, others will not. But even many who acknowledge never get to the crux of why he came. The world focuses on the events surrounding the birth of our Lord without a clue of knowing who he really is. And no one is asking why questions. Why was he born? Well, we're going to answer that. I, I've been watching this year already uh, and last year with my wife, Hallmark movies. <laughs> Can I hear an amen? How many of you have been watching some Hallmark movies? <laughs> but I've never once heard them say the real reason why Jesus came, if they mention him at all. And the only focus of the human need, that's really what they're after. His birth reminds us to love one another. The birth of Jesus reminds us that miracles still happen. His birth reminds us of, what, of our need for peace on earth. They give all these side effects, never get to the real stuff. His birth reminds us of our need for peace, but they never get to what we are going to talk about for the next few minutes. Why did the Son of God come to earth in the form of a man? Some would say to show man who God is, yes. To teach truth, yes. To fulfill the law, yes. To offer his kingdom to us, yes. To teach those who didn't understand about God, yes. To reveal love, yes. To bring peace, yes. To heal the sick, yes. But all those are secondary reasons for why Jesus came. There was only one primary reason for the birth of Jesus. He came to suffer and to die. That is why Jesus came. A Bethlehem only happens because there was a Calvary that Jesus had to go to. If there had been no Calvary, there would have been no Bethlehem. 
To put the emphasis on Bethlehem and not see Calvary is to miss Christmas completely. He was only a baby so that he could be a man and he could die. He lived in order to die. Bottom line. Listen to these words a great preacher gave. John MacArthur, he said this, speaking about this text in Hebrews. He said, those soft baby hands fashioned by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb were made in order that nails might be driven through them. Those chubby feet, pink and unable to walk, were one day to walk a hill and be nailed to a cross. That sweet head with sparkling eyes and eager mouth was formed in order that someday men might crush into it a crown of thorns. That tender body, warm and soft, wrapped in swaddling clothes, would one day be ripped open by a spear to reveal a broken heart. And that's exactly why God made that body and put the Son of God in it. Jesus truly, church, was born so that he might die. Man was created by God to have dominion over everything, but he fell into sin and he lost his dominion. And when God created Adam, everything was perfect. Everything was going perfect. And then man fell and he lost his dominion. Man should be in dominion, but he's not. Instead of being in dominion as God created him, man is in slavery. Every human being is a slave to sin. He's bound to sin. He has no control of his destiny. But as just, as at just the right time, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. In order to come in the form of a human, Jesus had to bid farewell to his eternal position. The angels who waited in anticipation finally broke forth in praise and adoration, and even the shepherds in the fields, they got to see and hear this heavenly host before them. But that's not why he came for a big celebration. He came to go to a cross, to be persecuted, to be a sacrificial lamb, and to die. In order to bring men back into the kingdom of God, he had to die and he had to pay the full price for man's sins. So why was his death so important? Why would that be the reason for his coming? Let me give you very quickly at the close of this sermon, there are five reasons. We won't cover all of them. We'll just go as far as we can. But we're not going to spend a lot of time on every one of them. Okay, number one, if you want to write these down, let me give them to you. Five reasons why Jesus was born. Five reasons you won't find any of these five in a Hallmark movie. You won't find any of these five in any news agency as they talk about Christmas. Number one, he had to become our substitute. The reason, one of the reasons Jesus came, the reason he was born, he had to become our substitute. Number two, he had to become our salvation number three he had to become our sanctifier number four he had to become our conqueror and number five he had to become our sympathetic high priest 
These five things were God's plan from the beginning. As soon as Adam sinned in the garden, this plan was enacted. And all five reasons for coming could not be fulfilled unless he comes and dies. All five of these reasons are connected to death. He was born to die. Let's quickly look at first one. We might not get in anywhere beyond the first one, maybe number two. I don't know. He came to be our substitute. Take your Bible now and turn to Hebrews chapter 2. We're in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is giving us the picture of why Jesus was born. In Hebrews chapter 2, look at verse 5, if you will. It says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him, speaking of Jesus Christ, you made him for a little while lower than the angels. That was the period of time he was on the earth. He was lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Jesus had to put everything under his feet, all sin under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him for a little while was made lower than the angels. Why was Jesus, why was, why was Jesus made lower? Here it is. He was crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. He came to be our substitute. The, the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel said it this way, the soul that sins shall die. Paul said it this way, the wages of sin is death. So sin by the justice of God is punished by death. If I sin, I will die. Have you sinned? Let me stay in my own backyard. Have I sinned? A resounding yes. And if I sin, I will die. If you and I have sinned, we have to bear our own punishment for our sins. And that means death. Death physically, death spiritually, and death eternally. We are sentenced to eternal hell without God. But in God's sovereignty, he creates a plan whereby he brings us out of death, out of slavery to sin, through Jesus Christ, his son. If you're not saved this morning, I pray you're hearing what I'm saying. It's not my words. This is the word of the living God. This is the gospel in Christmas. The reality is what led the prophet, that reality led the prophet Micah to break out in praise. Listen to what Micah says as he thought about God and how God made a way where there was no way. He said, Micah 7, verse 18, Micah 7, 18, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. Listen now. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. 
Micah had no clue what he was saying. When he said he will tread our iniquities underfoot, he didn't understand that God would send God, the second person of the Trinity, in human flesh to bring everything under subjection to himself. That sin would be brought under subjection to Christ. And he would mortify sin. He would die on the cross and kill the power and the penalty of sin over us. Praise God. He says, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. So that's the first and greatest reason why Jesus came. He came to be our substitute. Secondly, he came to become our salvation. He had to become our salvation. He had to bear our punishment. Verse 10 in our text. For it was fitting that he, when he says he, he's talking about God the Father now. For it was fitting that God the Father, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, that means bringing us to salvation, should make the founder of their salvation. That's actually a reference to Jesus. He's called the founder of our salvation. Perfect. He had to make the founder of our salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus became the founder of our salvation. He became the way maker through his death. He is our suffering Savior. Amen? Jesus plowed the way for God's anger and wrath to be satisfied by taking on all our sin and the punishment for sin. This pleased God the Father who does all things for his glory, who made all things for his glory to the end that they might bring glory back to him. Jesus did exactly that by taking on all of our sins. That's why he came. That was the first part of the verse. It pleased God to make his son the founder of our salvation by putting him to death on the cross. And then he says, if you go to Hebrews 5, verse 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. How do we learn obedience to God? Through suffering. I've talked to several of you this morning. Some of you are facing some suffering. You're facing some difficulties. But that is what matures you. That is what brings Christ out in you. He grows us when we suffer. I love that. He's our salvation. Jesus is our sacrifice, and he is our salvation. Listen, I love this. You know what Jesus' name means? You know what Jesus means? God is salvation. He's not just salvation in the sense of a small S. He's capital S. He is salvation. Mm. Number three, he had to become our sanctifier. He had to become our sanctifier. Verse 11, for he, speaking of Christ, who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. Jesus Christ is the one who sanctifies. Sanctified, to be sanctified means to, it comes from the word hagiazo, and it means to make holy. Now this is where we're going to stop after this one. This is the last point. We'll get four and five next week. 
This ought to bless you. This is the gift of God to you today. You're going to leave here at the beginning of the Christmas season with the greatest gift you could ever get. Whatever comes under the tree later means nothing compared to this. I want you to get it, okay? Verse 11, for he, speaking of Christ, who sanctifies, and those who are sanctified all have one source. Jesus Christ is the one who sanctifies. He is the hagiazo. He is the holy one. Just think about that. Jesus Christ is holy. When he was a baby, he was holy. When he was a boy, he was holy. When he was a teenager, he was holy. When he was in his 30s, he was holy. He never sinned. He had hagiazo because he was still the Son of God, fully God. God cannot sin. Jesus never sinned. And he is the one who gives us salvation, but not just salvation. After salvation, subsequently, he gives us sanctification, which means we get to be holy. No amens. That tells me I'm not sure we understand what sanctification really means. Through his death and our faith in him, believing and receiving him as Savior, we are declared by God the Father holy. This is a positional truth that you should never forget. Did you hear what I said? It's a positional truth. Positionally speaking, God has legally made it available to you that you would hold the position from his view, from his eyes looking at you, Christian. You are holy today. I love the song we sang, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. <laughs> man, oh man. Here's a question, because I'm sure there's some of you today that are going right now, I don't know if I believe that. I'm skeptical of the fact that God would look at me and see holiness. I think he looks at me and sees my sinfulness. And I'm going to tell you right now, no, he does not. He sees holiness. And let me prove it to you by the word of God. When Christ died on the cross, how much of your sin did he pay for? He didn't just pay for the sins before the cross. He paid for every human being, for every sin they would ever commit. Not just the sins before they became a Christian. He paid for the sins that they would commit after they became a Christian also. I'm telling you, positionally speaking, what God the Father sees in you is holiness. That's your position. That's why Paul said in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Can you imagine that? That if you are in Christ, you believed upon him as the son of God and were saved, there is no condemnation coming from the Father toward you. 
Sanctification is the process of being conformed to the image of Christ. It has nothing to do with salvation. It's subsequent to salvation. In other words, it's your way of life after salvation. Sanctification is you striving in practice what you already are in position. You are positionally holy from heaven to earth. You're positionally holy. But you've got to strive, you've got to practice holiness. has nothing to do with whether you can lose your salvation or not. You cannot. It's not connected to salvation. It's simply you on earth trying to practice what God has already given you. Isn't that wonderful? So now I'm not trying to do right for the sake of pleasing God and appeasing God. Now I desire, I'm compelled to do right because he's made me holy. Not that when I don't do right, I'm no longer holy. I, from his eyes, I'm always holy. So now I'm just compelled to do right because he loved me so much to make me. Turn to your spouse or the person sitting close by and say, you are holy. I know that's hard for some husbands and wives to do. You are holy, honey. That's how God sees you. We've got to understand that. It doesn't mean that that person is perfect on earth. They're not. It just means that it doesn't matter how many sins they've committed. If they truly have been saved from God's view, positionally, they're holy. Hebrews 10, 14, for by a single offering, an offering of what? An offering of his body, he has perfected. Look at that now. He, Jesus, has perfected for all time. So out of a single offering, Jesus has perfected for the next six months. Jesus has perfected for the next year. No. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, those who are striving in practice to what they already are positionally. That is holiness. In other words, while you're being sanctified, you're completely holy from God's view. <laughs> is that not a gift to you today? To walk out of here knowing that your Father's not holding your sins over you? If you believed in Jesus as the Savior who died for you and has forgiven you, you can walk out of here knowing God is not counting sins against you anymore. Praise God for that. Because we're real good at beating ourselves up and we're also going to receive from others the beating. They're going to remind us how imperfect we are. And they're right in the sense that we haven't completed yet the sanctification. We're still in process. That's why you never want to beat up someone. You never want to condemn them because they, they fail. Because if they're saved from God's view, they're holy. And they're in process of practicing holiness. That means, practicing means you hope to get it. It's like a, it's like a, a, a physician that practices medicine. They don't get it right all the time. That's why I don't like going to pr practitioners. Don't practice on me. I want the guy who gets it right pretty much all the time. Amen. Would you agree? Well, you're, you're that person too. You're a practitioner. 
Listen, friends, after receiving by faith the imputed holiness of Christ, don't ever question whether there is something in this universe that can ever take that away from you. You have been perfected forever through the offering of Jesus' body, and if you could lose it, then Jesus didn't do it right. And if he didn't do it right, God the Father would have never raised him from the dead. He'd have left him in that ground or in that tomb. But Jesus did do it right. Therefore, he, Jesus, has made you positionally holy with God the Father, and you ought to rejoice over that today. If there's anything you celebrate for Christmas, you celebrate that God came in human form, paid the perfect price on the cross so that you could be positionally holy before God the Father. The sin debt was paid. He came in order to die. He made you positionally holy. And then there's this wonderful truth that he caps it off with. Look at verse 11. That is why he, Jesus, is not ashamed... Jesus is not ashamed to call you and me brother and sister. Let's flesh that out. Jesus, in his glorified body, walks in here, glowing. Eyes like fire, voice like a rushing water, <clears throat> hair white as wool. He walks in here. And he looks at you, and you are completely overwhelmed by the presence of God, by the presence of holy. And all you think is how unholy you are in his presence of holiness. And then he looks at you, and he says, hey, Susan, hey, John, hey, Greg, how are you doing, brother? How are you doing, sister? He's not embarrassed when you fall short because the death on the cross paid the price. You believed it. You're holy. He's not ashamed of you. Don't let anybody beat you up because of the mistakes you've made. Learn from them. Yes, the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin and he will try to bring you into greater sanctification. But if you're saved, that's for all eternity. God's not trying to condemn you today. He says, you're my brother, you're my sister. Let's pray. Father, I just pray somehow today that this word from your scripture would reach hearts and set people free who have been set free positionally but they still have not connected to the dots maybe they didn't even know that and now today they know it but even if they knew it maybe they just still live in this real world where it's just all they see is sin they feel like sin they hear that they're in sin and they they they're, they're trying to measure out how they can somehow do enough good that you would like them and the reality is we'll never measure up to your holiness that way oh May we rest today in the work of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and know that our Savior has made us holy and that he is not ashamed of us when we fall short. The Holy Spirit will convict us and he will use that sin that we committed to try and bring us back into greater sanctification. 
practicing even more the holiness that we receive from Christ. But He's not holding it over us, keeping us from heaven. And we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God is good. We've got usher, or ushers, we've got elders, and we've got, and I'm okay with ushers, and we've got prayer partners who will gather with you if you need prayer for any matter. They would love to pray for you. The elders, Scripture says that you should call upon the elders of the church to lay hands upon you, pray the prayer of faith, and the sick be made well. So our elders and our prayer partners are here to help you. And today, may you celebrate and rejoice. By the way, let me say, that number that we put on the screen for Angela and her family, that was as of Thursday. I was told that there were some other envelopes that came in even after Thursday, so we just didn't have time to count it all up. And if you didn't get a chance and you want to give, just earmark it, Angela Fouts, and put it in the box if you want to. It's never too late. We'll make sure she gets it. God bless each of you. What a special congregation you are. I pray you receive and feel the love of God that he has in his heart for you. God bless.